Lord of all the earth, creator of the skies, creator of dimples. Meet us today. We are a needy people. Meet us today. We don't want to rely on past grace. We need more grace right now, fresh, new this morning. So come, we pray, for the glory of your Son, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. You may be seated. And as you do, pull out your Bibles. I hope you brought them. We will use them much in the next three days. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Some of you could have anticipated I may go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. The words that Jesus pointed to when he said, this is the most important commandment. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The section that starts in chapter 6, verse 4. The section that starts in chapter 6, verse 4. Runs all the way to the end of chapter 8. And all of it is focused on the nature of of covenant relationship, the essence of which is covenant love. In our small unit that starts in verse 4, we read the focus of covenant love. Then in verse 5, it's the locus of covenant love. And in verses 6 through 9, the contexts wherein covenant love are to be operative. Today we're going to focus only on verse 4. So look there with me. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Now in your Bibles it says the Lord in all capital letters. And whenever we see that in the Old Testament, it's a substitute for the, what the prophets and the people were actually proclaiming. Yahweh. They were calling him by his name, just like my name is Jason. And so I don't hesitate. Whenever I see L-O-R-D in capital letters, I put God's name back in. And with this word, listen, which in Hebrew means Shema, and verses 4 and 5 are often called the Shema, listen, O Israel, Moses, the mouthpiece of God, is calling all those in listening range to tune in their senses to a precious truth. There are a few verses in our Bible that are so densely packed with theology and so foundational for a proper worldview than this one. Listen, Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. So if you take notes, today I've got a two-part message. Yahweh our God and Yahweh is one. Let's dive in. Yahweh. It shows up two times in this verse. In four words in Hebrew, Yahweh our God, Yahweh one. We see it twice. 
Yahweh means he causes to be. It's related to the verb of existence. When God talks about himself, he says, I am. But when we look at God, we declare him Yahweh. That is, he causes to be. God is more than the causer of all things. Thus he says, I am. Just like C.S. Lewis is more than the author of the Chronicles of Narnia. But if C.S. Lewis was to have written himself into the pages of his story, just like our God has written himself into the pages of our story, then all the Narnians would look at Lewis and they would say, he causes to be. He's the author of everything. And so it is that God, from our perspective, is the causer of all. Or in the words of Paul in Romans 11.36, For from him and through him and to him are all things, and therefore to him be the glory forever. Yahweh, our God, the causer of all, Now turn with me back, just one page. When you're only preaching on one verse, you've got to pull in a lot of other verses. So go with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we'll fill in a little bit about what Moses thought about this God, Yahweh. Deuteronomy 4. Verses 32 and through 35. Deuteronomy 4, 32 through 35. Read along with me. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heaven to the other whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was even heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which Yahweh your God, hear that? Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that Yahweh is God. There is no other. So look at those verses. Verse 32, Yahweh is the one who created man on the earth. He's that big. That God entered into Israel's world with glorious clarity and power. Look at verse 34, sorry, verse 33. There we learn his presence has the potential to kill And yet he graciously disclosed himself and his will in a way that Israel could understand. Look at verse 34. There we're reminded how Yahweh, the causer of all things, controls all natural elements and also stands as the judge of those who go against him. The text speaks of trials and signs, wonders and war. You remember the story. Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. He controls what's inside, not only what's outside. 
When he said, let the water be blood, it was blood. When he said, bring in the hail, it happened. When he said, let the day become night, it did. When he said, Pharaoh's son, death, it happened. When Yahweh said, let the waters part and let the Egyptian army be destroyed, it happened just as he purposed. Yahweh, the causer of all things, By great deeds of terror, it says in verse 34, God delivered Israel from the hands of their oppressors. All this that they might know that Yahweh alone is God without an equal. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is our God today. The causer of all, the creator of all, the judge of all, and the redeemer of those who he's called to himself. Now turn to the back of the book. Turn to the back of Deuteronomy, to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Now I go here because our verse uses Yahweh's name two times as if Moses wants us to get it. And in chapter 32, Moses sings a song. I'm not going to sing a song for you today. But Moses sings a song, and in it, specifically in verse 3, he tells us that the entire song is in order to proclaim Yahweh's name. Deuteronomy 32, look with me now at verse 3. For I will proclaim the name Yahweh. Ascribe greatness to our God. Now, if you've got your Bibles open, just follow along with me. I'm going to go verse by verse through chapter 32, summarizing how Yahweh's name is proclaimed. This is our God. Verse 4, he's the rock whose way is perfect. Also in verse 4, he's faithful, he's sinless, and he's just. Verse 6, he's Israel's father creator. Verses 8 and 9, he's the overseer of nations. And yet, he has special affection for Israel. Verses 12 through 14, he's Israel's guide and her protector. Verse 15, again, he's the rock, and now that rock is shown as a savior. Verse 16, because he is God, he is rightfully jealous for your and my affection. And verse 17, nothing else and no one else deserves worship, supreme worship than our God. Verses 22 through 25, he's the remover of Israel's provision and protection when they run from him. Verses 26 through 27, he's one who is concerned with his reputation. He wants us to know his name. Verse 29, he's the controller of all Israel's tomorrows. Verse 30, he's Israel's protector. Verses 32 through 33, he's a unique source of pure life, not poisoned death. Verse 35, the one who sits on the throne of heaven is vengeful 
against his people's enemies. Verse 36, he's compassionate toward humble people. Verse 39, see now I, even I am he. There is no other besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. He causes all things. Verse 43, this God moves the world to joy and is worthy of the worship of all. Yahweh, our God. Now Yahweh is one. Yahweh alone is God. Yahweh is one. In the Bible, that little adjective one can be used in one of two ways. It can be used of oneness of quantity and oneness of quality. And when we see the Shema interpreted, it appears that the oneness of God is viewed in both senses. Think about it this way. I got this one this morning when I was getting ready in the shower. I have one woman. Now that could be read in one of two ways. When I say, I have one woman, I could be simply saying, I'm not a polygamist. That is, I am a one-wife man. There's a unity a, with respect to quantity, I have one wife. But to say that I am a one-woman man could also mean this. In fact, it should also mean this. That while there are many girls in this world, there's only one for me. That Teresa DeRoshi has captured my heart. And when I consider all the ladies in this world, all the ladies in this room, my honey's not here. There is one girl that I stand with. There is one girl that I've committed to, even though there's many other girls in this world. I'm a one-woman man, both in quantity and in quality. Now look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For here it talks about God's oneness, both with respect to quantity and quality. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Yahweh your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great the mighty and the awesome God. So in one breath, Moses tells us that Yahweh is one in quantity. He is the great, the mighty, the awesome God. And yet he's also one in quality. That is the reality that Yahweh is, does not deny the fact that there are other forces in this world that are vying for your and my allegiance. 
But in such a world, Yahweh should stand unique above all others in our perspective. He is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is one in quantity and he is one in quality. Let me unpack that a little bit more. Yahweh's uniqueness in quantity. To say that Yahweh is one in quantity, I'm saying that there is only one ultimate king of the universe. There's only one throne in the pantheon of heaven, not two. Now most of you may say you affirm it at one level, and yet you live as if something else is true. Many of us live as if Star Wars theology is right theology, wherein there is a dark side and there is a side of light. And they are equally competing. And if you start watching the movies from the beginning, there's no promise that the good will overcome. So when bad things happen, it was Satan's problem. And when good things happen, Yahweh brought it about. Brothers and sisters, in a world where Satan and Yahweh are equals, in a world where Satan and Yahweh are equals, you and I can have no hope. Hear me. If Satan thwarted God's purpose yesterday and brought you pain, then when you need help, who's to say? Who's to say? That tomorrow, when that help is needed, Satan won't come again and thwart our God. In a world where our God is not sovereign, even over the bad, you and I can have no hope, but that's not the biblical picture. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. It's where we just were. 32, 39. See now that I, even I am he. This is Yahweh talking. I, I am the one who kills. And I am the one who makes alive. I am the one who wounds. And I am the one who heals. And no one, no one can deliver out of my hand. That is our God. And he will not let us give car accidents and cancer ultimately to the control of Satan because he wants us to have hope and to know that he is bigger. Yahweh alone is the causer of all. Satan is real, but he's like a dog on a leash. He is active, but he is always submissive. Go read the first chapters of Job. But now look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The rock, Yahweh, his way is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness. And then what does it say? Without iniquity, just and upright is he. Moses had no problem affirming that God was so big that even the bad is, he's, is, is under his supremacy, and yet he affirmed, as all of us must affirm, that our big God is always good. 
God's in charge of life. He's in charge of death. He's in charge of sickness. He's in charge of healing. And because Moses affirmed it, we must as well. Don't make the God you believe in small. Don't do it. Satan is not Yahweh's equal. I know that pain is hard. And in a room this size, there is so much pain. Some of you have dads that lost their jobs and are struggling and you're hurting inside and you can't do a thing. Some of you have friends who are suicidal and you feel hopeless and helpless. Some of you have chemical imbalance in your body and life is just not easy. Pain is real, but the presence of pain does not mean that Yahweh is not in control. He was on the throne before the pain started, and he's on the throne today. And he wants you to look to him, not run from him. Remember Deuteronomy 32, 36. God has compassion on the humble, but he opposes the proud. So if you find yourself today feeling humbled, lift your eyes to Yahweh. Take heart. There is only one God. And he's our God. There's one king of the universe who controls all things. His name is Yahweh. And he stands not only able, but willing to help you, willing to help me in our time of need. And he's, he's able to do it. Listen to how Moses talked to Israel when they were scared to go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 7.21 You shall not be in dread of them for Yahweh your God Hear that Israel. Yahweh your God is in your midst. A great and awesome God. Or Deuteronomy 32.26 Israel there is none like God who rises through the heavens to your help through the skies in his majesty. The same confidence that Moses had for the people of Israel is a confidence that you and I can have today because, as Paul has said in Romans 8, our God is for us and not against us. And in John said in 1 John chapter 4, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. There's only one God in the universe, one in quantity. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh, our God. He's also unique in quality. By this I mean that nothing can ultimately compare to this God. Yahweh is unique and I want to focus only on one in closing, but stick with me. Yahweh is uniquely satisfying. In Matthew 13, 44, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy the field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Oneness and quality. How valuable is God to you today? What kind of a priority is God in your life? 
When it's movie night and your wingmates come in and they've got a video in your hand and you see what that video is, something inside of you says, I don't know, this wouldn't be healthy for me. In that moment of decision, are you more concerned about how what your roommates will think if you say, I'm not going to watch it, or are you more concerned about what God thinks? Who or what's in control of your heart today? Or you come back, tomorrow's test day, and you failed to study like you should have, but you've got to get an A, and as you sit down at your desk, you find out that the girl right down the hall just found out her mom has cancer. In that moment, will your faith move you to love your neighbor Or will your desire for things of this world, like grades, cause you to stay seated? Who or what is in control of your heart? You're deciding on a major. What's motivating you? Is it money? Is it prestige? Is it power? Or is it the pleasure of our God? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That same Jesus said, I am. Hear that. That's how God talks about himself. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you tasted and seen that God is good? So much so that you're willing to put away maliciousness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. God doesn't call us to follow him and to turn from sin because he hates us. No, he loves us. He wants what's best for us. He's not calling us to an unsatisfied life. The problem is not that he restricts satisfaction. The problem is that you and I too easily get satisfied on things of this world rather than treasuring and reveling in our God. Listen to the psalmist. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Full joy for the longest amount of time. But you know what sin does. It makes promises. Promises for a better tomorrow. Or at least a better tonight. A quick glance at the internet when all your roommates are sleeping. glancing over at your neighbor's test, compromising your integrity just to get one more right answer? Wearing a tight blouse or a low-cut shirt because you're comfortable with your body, even if it causes your brothers to stumble? Is that love? Is that a passion for holiness? Who's on the throne of your heart today, Northwestern? Do you have one God Or are you divided? Is self in charge? Or is sin in charge? Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and the things of this world. God's ways are good. Hear that. God's ways are good. Purity, modesty, integrity, honesty, they're right, they're safe, and only there will you find the guilt-free, joyful life. So in conclusion, there is only one God, both in quantity 
and in quality. You may believe the first of these and affirm it. But if you don't align yourself with God being qualitatively unique, then ultimately you have a divided heart and God is not one in your life. In a world filled with forces attempting to master your soul, I call you Northwestern. Live for God alone. Seek his applause. Find pleasure in doing what is right, in thinking what is right, even when it's hard, even when it causes others to turn against you. For only there, but truly there, you will find the highest joy for the longest amount of time. Pray with me. Father in heaven, you alone are God. Satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Help us to trust you today. Help us to trust you daily, even when life is hard, reminding ourselves that you're for us. Even when the pain is thick, you are for us and not against us. And you are king over all. Help us make choices that display that you, Lord, are the master of our heart. Help us to love in ways that display that we have one God and his name is Jesus. It's in his name, the name above all other names we pray. Amen. Go in peace.